Welcome to Trade Finance Talks, a podcast from Trade Finance Global. During this series, we'll be hearing from global experts, as well as learning about the latest trends, technology and insights in the world of international trade and receivables finance. Episode 50. One of the main goals of the EU has been to just keep the dialogue with the US alive in some form or another. In the context of COVID, that's one of the important things right now. I think everybody will be looking to generate that growth after the pandemic. My name is Dipesh Patel, editor at Trade Finance Global. The United States and the European Union are the two most integrated trading blocs in the world having increased their economic interdependence with the linkages in global supply chains, e-commerce and investment. The trade flows between these two partners account for around a third of world trade flows, totaling over £1 trillion in 2019. And the two account for more than half of global foreign direct investment. Yet this triangle of trade has gone through a lot recently, with the UK leaving the EU, the current political stance of the US administration and the increasing role of China in the global economy changes the dynamics of these three trading blocs and the position of the UK post-Brexit. So what's next for this powerful trio? Today, I'm joined by Elita Garnazova from the Trade Policy Hub at London School of Economics. Elita, welcome to Trade Finance Talks. Thank you so much for having me. So to start off with, and I'm sure you know my famous introduction, can you give your elevator pitch? So in no more than 30 seconds, who are you? Where are you from? And what do you do? I'm a trade policy professional working on the political economy of trade from both the policy and academic perspectives. I'm from Bulgaria, but I've spent the past 15 years in Italy, Belgium, and most recently the UK. And currently I direct the Trade Policy Hub part of the London School of Economics, which we try to expand and build into an incubator for great trade policy ideas. Just to add, maybe just on top of my 30 seconds, I'm also one of the co-founders of Trade Experts, an organization which aims to promote awesome female expertise in trade policy. Well, I didn't know that, but now I know Trade Experts, so uh, that's fantastic. And uh, we'll provide a link to that to our readers to find out about women in trade and some of the exciting stories they have. Perfect. That would be lovely. So let's start with a bit of a trade outlook. Historically on the EU and the US, where was trade policy headed pre-Brexit and pre the current Trump administration? As you know, before the current Trump administration, the negotiations of the Transatlantic Trade and Investment Partnership were very much the focus of attention on both sides. And there was actually much progress achieved by 2017. There was some discussions already on better access for markets for EU and US firms, on simplifying technical regulations without lowering standards, on sustainable development, but also things like a dedicated chapter on SMEs. Of course, there was still progress lacking in public procurement and reconciling approaches to trademarks and geographical indications. As you know, still a big hurdle for the US and the EU. And now also in US-UK relations as well. So before Brexit and um, in the current conundrums, there was a strong push from the business communities from both sides of the Atlantic for governments to reduce both tariff and non-tariff barriers. So this is very much also, as I said, a business story, um, creating a better 
business environment. And this came a little bit after the global financial crisis and trying to find ways to boost economies in a transatlantic market. So TTIP was not only about trying to reduce tariffs, but it was about innovation, creating innovative solutions to some of those long-standing regulatory divergences between the UN and the US that are still a major hurdle through the recourse of regulatory cooperation. As you know, this is bringing UN US regulators working together to develop new regulations and reviewing some of the existing ones. But what happened is the ambition of TTIP was massively oversold. It resulted due to multiple factors and a major backlash. There were a lot of anti-TTIP campaigns and protests and also not only on the side of citizens, but also then it moved on to member states and parliamentarians. And actually, Trump was only the death sentence for TTIP. It was problematic before that, but this was really where we were headed before Trump. I guess fast forwarding several years, a lot more has happened since. What are the key changes that brings us to where we're at today? Surprisingly, very recently, there has been a breakthrough. It's quite interesting to be able to say this. And if we were speaking only a month ago, I would have said that the outlook was quite bleak. As you know, in August, Lighthizer and Hogan signed the first package of tariff reductions to be agreed by the sides in uh, more than two decades. Under this agreement, the EU will eliminate tariffs on imports from US life and frozen products from lobster, while the US would reduce by half tariff rates on a certain range of EU manufacturing products. So these include some of the prepared meals, including fish, certain crystal glassware, cigarette lighters, and lighter parts. That's why it's called lobster for lighters uh, deal. And the importance of this was, of course, even though it seems like a very small step, it's really an important milestone. And as both of the parties framed it, it's supposed to be just the beginning of a process to lead to additional agreements between the two sides. So that's optimistic. At the same time, of course, just um, a few months ago in June, Lighthizer took um, a very different stance towards the EU in a hearing in front of them, in front of the House of Congress in the US. He charged the EU with thinly veiled protectionism, and he also highlighted that no deal is in sight. So as I said, um, things looked a little bit different back then. But if you just take stock of what's currently happening, the US is still very much either has imposed or is planning to impose numerous different tariffs on the EU, which is very damaging to EU exporters. Just to give you a few examples, in 2018, the US imposed tariffs on steel and aluminum, alleging national security concerns, of course, not only towards the EU, but the EU was one of those parties. Then in 2019, the US threatened with tariffs on cars and car parts, which, as you can imagine, very detrimental to a lot of EU economies. And then afterwards, to jump forward, forward to this year, the US threatened investigations into countries that are planning to adopt digital services taxes. There is just too much probably on the sort of on the tariff threats at the minute. So very different from the dream of building a transatlantic marketplace that could have um, happened uh, a couple of years ago. So the idea was for there to be jointly shaped regulations. And now we're fighting over tariffs. So that's where we are at right now. Just how has the UK acted in response to this, given the UK's exit from the EU? And also, has the UK followed sweet with uh, tit-for-tat tariffs? So the UK has very much followed the US policy so far. It's one of the uh, countries that are planning to impose a digital tax. So the UK is very much part of the discussions on the side with other EU countries. On these particular points, the UK is still very much aligned with the EU. As you know, Liz Truss even recently around the third round of negotiations spoke about the need for the US to remove tariffs before sort of any bilateral trade agreement can progress. So I would say very much on this, the UK and the US 
are, are on the same side. Great, thank you. And I guess since COVID-19, has that changed any dynamics in this UK-US triangle? The pandemic has really made policymakers, I would say, look a lot more inwards. As you know, everybody's preoccupied with trying to resolve their domestic public health and all of the socioeconomic consequences. And surprisingly to me, the crisis has definitely worsened an already fragile transatlantic relationship. I mean, there are a lot of examples to be included here. For example, if you remember quite early on in the process, Donald Trump started blaming the Europeans for the spread of COVID-19 to the US. And then he suddenly announced a ban, a travel ban for all European visitors, which actually wasn't at all discussed with European diplomats and came as a surprise to everybody. And also some of those news reports that resurfaced afterwards definitely did not help. Some of them pointed out to the idea that the Trump administration was eyeing a takeover of a German vaccine manufacturer. So all of these news for sure undercut the trust on both sides and the timing of it during a pandemic is quite bad. I would say linking to what you asked previously, same goes with, um, with the tariffs question. So at a time when EU and UK businesses are really trying to recover from COVID, imposing or or having the threat of additional tariffs is really detrimental for their in terms of uncertainty, which is, as you know, such an important factor for businesses. So if we're trying to be slightly more positive, of course, I think the countries will be really looking for towards delivering growth post-COVID. You could see the same thing happening after the global financial crisis. So countries really trying to have renewed focus on the trade policy measures that could be taken in order to stimulate companies. So there might be some sort of pragmatic and immediate achievable goals for U.S the UK and the EU, maybe in terms of even elimination of um, tariffs on industrial goods, or at least on medical devices and some of their related equipment, maybe even discussing issues related to data protection and privacy, which relate to disease tracking apps. So hopefully there might be some cooperation since, of course, it is a good saying that a global pandemic requires a global cooperation. So we hope to see more of joint action on the three sides. But unfortunately, some of the new cycle items haven't helped so far. Very interesting. And I guess we can often relate that to the growth of trade post the 2008 economic crisis and the role that trade had in terms of real economic growth and the benefit of such cooperation. Let's talk about the WTO. And given that the US is, I think, the second biggest donor to the WTO, can you talk a bit more about the US relationship with the WTO and and how this has affected global trade? That's, again, a a very, very important question, very timely. The US administration has been disengaging from WTO basically from the start of the Trump administration. And it's a little bit seen as a broader downgrading of institutions and rules, even you can see the same with the World Health Organization. And the administration is highly critical of WTO. It's been blocking appointments of members to the appellate body, initially not even engaging in reform discussions. So just trying to sort of impede the ability of WTO to settle disputes without really trying to look forward to any constructive solutions. Also, one of the things that happened in parallel is that in turn, the UN group of WTO members decided to proceed with a contingency appeal arrangement for trade disputes, which is uh, now functioning. So um, hopefully at some point there will be an agreement on this since the dispute settlement system is such an important pillar of the WTO. But at this stage, it's difficult to see how that would happen. So just to give you a bit of a preview on Lighthizer's stance, towards the WTO. He uh, brands it usually as a big mess and claims that it has failed Americans and international trading system. 
then most recently in um, an, an op-ed which he titled How to Set World Trades Trade, he again quite a critical stance towards the WTO. Some observers who read that op-ed named it to be quite named Lighthizer's approach to be quite mercantilist, zero-sum. He also seems to have a reversal on bilateral agreements. He's planning to continue the trade wars front with China. And in general, his stance seems to have to breed little scope for compromise with other WTO members in order to promote global trade. So it is very, very challenging. Similarly, currently, the WTO is leaderless since it's um, in a process of deciding on its next um, director general. And on the list of the next DG, you have quite a serious set of issues. So you have fisheries, e-commerce, digital trade, the dispute settlement, of course, China's unfair trade practices. So you could see that some of the main concerns that will be an immediate priority for the next DG are very important for the U.S. administration. But if we have a next Trump administration, it can take the OPED as a statement of what the next administration will try to push through. And that's not very constructive of the global trade system. Lots of huge, huge issues at the moment, particularly given the significant reduction in global trade as well as all of the existing issues and also the inability for the WTO to make significant changes or get involved as it's currently without a leader. So what are the EU's trade priorities with the US and what, what's current engagement like? One of the main goals of the EU has been to just keep the dialogue with the US alive in some form or another. So that, I think, has been something that they have done really well including the previous commissioner, Silvio Malmström, in terms of trying to sustain the conversation and trying to keep finding scope for different dialogues. And in the meantime, of course, the EU has continued pursuing a lot of other bilateral agreements and trying to sustain some engagement on the multilateral fora as a parallel route. After the suspension of TTIP, talks with the US were restarted again in 2017 against Cecilia Malmström and Wilbur Ross, but it didn't really get anywhere at the time. And especially with the tariff threats that wasn't too well accepted by the, of course, the EU counterparts. So right now, I would say the EU's priorities are to try to find a new way of engaging with the US. So on one side, you have their new stance on an open strategic autonomy, which really signals the European Commission's readiness to start being more strategic in dealing with some of the distortive state interventions, export restrictions, and foreign investment. And these are all areas which are also a priority for the US. So one of the things that you could see shaping up is, of course, on China. So there is already in the works an EU-US dialogue on China, which, if extended to trade policy issue, could be something where I think a Trump administration, Joe Biden administration, but also everybody on the EU side now seems to be aligning a lot more on the potential dialogue on China. Similarly, of course, as I mentioned earlier, some of the priorities are on digital tax and trying to find an approach to regulating the tech giants. So again, that's something that has been in discussion within the remit of the OECD, but with uh, with no real progress. So that's definitely a priority for the EU. In terms of some of the other possibilities where it can try to build some of the more sort of constructive, more positive discussions are on green goods, greening the economy, healthcare products now in the view of COVID. So these are might be some immediate wins to think about, hopefully. But here again, it's really about also seeing who would be presiding on the White House next, um, since um, things would hopefully look a little bit different with Democrat president. We'll wait and see and follow the US elections very closely. So what's the UK's current external economic position in the North Atlantic trade triangle. And Liz Truss's ambition you know, for the UK post-Brexit, she recently said, is to 
advanced trade for the modern era? The UK at the minute, I think it's still in a quite an awkward position just because the future relationship with the EU is still undecided and very much in flux. And that precludes it from also moving forward with its other agreements or just in general with its trade strategy. One of the, or how I see it, one of the potential stumbling blocks to the UK being one side of a constructive dialogue is really trying to break free from the EU. And this is more of an ideological desire rather than a practical decision. So it really depends on actually the next couple of weeks and what will happen with the discussions on the future relationship. So what we have seen so far, again, moving towards the more positive side of things, of course, the UK has uh, already launched uh, trade negotiations with multiple parties and exploring different options. But sometimes it's a little bit hard to see what exactly the priorities in, in these negotiations are. And the same stands with the potential agreement with the US, which will be quite crucial for also symbolically for uh, UK's next steps. So what happened in, and just again, to give a recent example, what happened in July was that the National Farmers Union gathered a petition of more than a million signatures in order to protect UK's high food standards. So while the US has signaled readiness to work with the UK on a swift agreement, one of the main demands on the US side is um, access for US agricultural products and potentially also UK's amendment to its approach to uh, GIs. So there is quite a bit of tension on that front and there is no real process in knowing what the outcome of, of that would be. But as you know, FTAs are not the only part of trade trade policy. Uh, of course, there is a lot more to the trade strategy. And then the UK has a lot to consider in terms of its national economic and foreign policy objectives. And there is a lot of scope for building some consensus between the EU and the US, potentially on some of those areas that I mentioned earlier, which are more forward looking in terms of digital trade and e-commerce or the green economy. These are potential areas where the UK can potentially take the lead and try to do, as you said, what Liz Truss coined as advanced trade for the modern era. Again, that requires the ability to build consensus around some of those very controversial topics such as internet taxes, data privacy, which are quite, currently there is quite a bit of divergence between the UN and the US. Either have to take side or play a very constructive partner. I guess just to conclude from today's podcast, what is next for the North Atlantic trade triangle and, and what do you think we can expect in the near term? You did say that now with um, in the context of COVID, that's one of the important things right now. I think everybody will be looking to generate that growth after the pandemic and trying to find those ways of boosting the economies, of trying to find, trying to diversify supply chains or make them not even diversify, making them more resilient, avoiding some of the vulnerabilities that we saw with the pandemic. So while no major agreement, especially between the US and the EU is in sight, it is very likely that the dialogue between the EU and the US would lead to a series of other smaller agreements similar to the lobster for lighters one. And similarly, there is a new commissioner, his nomination really signals continuity and possible prioritization of the US and China relations since he's worked on both fronts a lot. So we can see some positive developments in those areas. On the UK front, I think that it's, um, again, time to be very, very pragmatic, both towards the, the EU and the US and sit down and understand what are some of the areas where each of the partners can really bring benefit to the UK economy and maybe put some of the ideology aside. But of course, that's easier said than done in this crucial time of the year just before the conclusion of the negotiation. So one of the things that is quite a good example for the UK to see is the United States-Mexico-Canada agreement, because that's the latest comprehensive agreement that the US has signed. So it shows the US template, it shows the different aspects as requested 
hosted by sort of the US side. So it will be quite guiding in terms of their demands. And um, we are to see where the negotiations would lead next. Alita, thank you very much. And I think it's something that we need to keep a close eye on over the next few months, given the sheer number of decisions and changes in the upcoming US presidential election the UK's post-transition period with the EU and the state of the various trade negotiations in between. So something to definitely keep our eyes uh, peeled for. Thank you very much for joining us on Trade Finance Talks. Look forward to hearing from you soon. Thank you so much for having me once again. It was a pleasure and um, keep me posted on uh, all of the developments in um, trade finance. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Trade Finance Talks. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts at tradefinanceglobal.com. 